Grab your hard seltzer, a glass of wine, or a shot of tequila. It's time for Girl Talk. Let's get real. All right, here we are at episode six, and we... (laughs) (laughs) I resisted temptation, but I wanted to say it. Okay, here we are at episode six, and we tonight... Okay, confession... We have so many seltzers <laughs> stocked up in the fridge that we are, we, we kind of just went and we're having a duplicate tonight, basically. Yes. As much as we'd love to say we can finish off the 12 pack every time we record. We cannot. Yeah. Then you wouldn't understand what we're saying and we're trying to stay semi-coherent here. So, Although that might make for a damn good podcast. That's true. In the future. If Joe Rogan can get high with Elon Musk and have a phenomenal podcast. I'm fairly sure that we can be drunk off our asses and have a very coherent and deep, thoughtful, intelligent podcast. That sounds like a challenge. (laughs) Challenge accepted. (laughs) Throwing down my gauntlet. Let's go. Not this one. No. I'm only two in. So yeah. So tonight I am drinking Austin Eastsiders again. But they're spiked seltzer, but it is really good. It is so flavorful, and I'm drinking the apple tonight. And I have the apple, too, which I think it's perfect for it's it's the end, well, the middle-ish of fall. Yes. And, yes. Yeah, and it's Thanksgiving time, and apples just signify that time of year for it me. Does. So it does. It makes me miss good. Michigan. Yes. And the cider and mills. And the cider mills. I will be returning to Michigan for Thanksgiving next week, oh and God. that is on my... On my list of places to go. So Franklin Cider Mill, I'm coming for you. Well, when you open up your suitcase, I will crawl out. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe when I get back here, some donuts and cider will crawl out. Oh, I accept that. I'm driving. I can bring those back. (laughs) I accept that. (laughs) So in this episode, we are actually talking about the fact we came up with the question, when is enough enough? And as we were making our outline, that took us from the boundaries set in the past versus the boundaries, you know, throughout our marriage. And then even the boundaries that we're learning to set now, or that we're discovering that we should set now. In our case, the, one of the things that we were talking about is the fact that we're Gen Xers and we were raised by boomers. So we still have that kind of old school mindset thinking that influenced our boundaries within our first relationships and our first marriages and, you know, things like that. Um, whenever we talk about boomers, we, you know, and that is baby boomers, of course, I don't want to say boomers in the way that is derogatory that Gen Zers are saying now, but, um, because I have great respect for baby boomers that their mindset, and I don't want to belittle it in any way. We'd have a family holiday. Men would sit at the table. The women would do the cooking. And my grandmother would hand me the plate to go serve my brothers and any other man in the room. While, you know, and when the dinner was done, they would get up and leave the table and the women would then clean. So there is that old mindset that is still kind of instilled and drilled into me. I don't know about you, but. Oh, same, same in my family. I think that my parents are baby boomers and my mom definitely was not part of that mold, but my dad's side of the family, very traditional like that. And, and it was the same thing, all the holiday gatherings, the women cooked and now it's different. Things have changed, but you know, for the first probably 20, 25 years of my life, the women cooked and the men watched whatever sport was on TV at the time. And that's just how it happened. And so when you're raised like that, even though I, I feel like 
boomer baby boomers and us as Gen Xers were huge transitional generations. Yes. Not not that the Gen Z and forward generations won't be, but but we've already seen our transition happen. Like they started the transition, but we took it even further because I think we were the kind of the rebellious generation in a sense that we wanted to get so far away from that. You know, we saw the, we, here, here's an excellent point. Actually, we saw the beginnings of feminism and we were like, Oh, I like, I like that. I like, I that like that's my personality. Yeah, I want to be strong. Like exactly. That. And so we kind of took it and our generation really, you know, kind of ran with it. We did. And we jumped in head first, which <laughs> I think luckily for me, my mom was one of those feminists. She was very modern. She was in college. She had her job. So I was raised with a, a strong feminist woman and, and my dad who adored her. And so I have this, this baby boomer generation of parents, you know, who, who, uh, just loved the hell out of each other. And so then since I did get married young, when, when it came time for me to get married, having boundaries, and what I wanted out of my marriage weren't necessarily anything that I thought about. First of all, I was 23 years old. And second of all, I, I came from this stable, beautiful family. And I never, they never fought in front of us. And so I, I never took the time to think about, well, what happens when marriages get rough? Or what happens mm-hmm. when you need to have boundaries? And so boundaries weren't, weren't something that I considered. I just kind of jumped into my marriage with both feet and figured it would work itself out because I, I don't know, happily ever after, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, things are just going to work out. That's what they do. And so I had those societal ideas of what I thought would be perfect for my marriage. You know, I, I want this and I want this and I don't want this and I don't want that. <clears throat> but I never, ever for a second stopped to think about what would happen in my marriage if one of those societal things that that are looked down upon happened in my marriage is that a deal breaker for me does that mean I I walk out does that what does that mean I had no idea and I wasn't prepared for any of that going into my marriage well and see I kind of come from a different background where my mom was very independent very you know she she was a, a baby boomer but very much a feminist out of necessity and if you read my blog you'll understand she you know, had a first husband and then her second husband abandoned us in a horrific way. And then she was in a very abusive relationship for 13 years. And then I saw all of that turmoil and everything, but that also created cycles in her where she was, her boundaries and tolerance were kind of created for her where she, because of the abuse and because of the abandonment, those horrific things kind of gave her a, and I'm not, call my mom toxic, but they kind of gave her a damaged view, which then let me see a damaged view on boundaries. I wish I had had a healthy way to say, okay, this is what I won't tolerate. This is what I will tolerate. This is a deal breaker for me. This isn't a deal breaker for me. You know, this we can work through this. We can, you know, absolutely not work through, right. but I, I didn't, I, I was all about fight for my marriage, fight for my marriage, and tolerate anything. And that kind of set me up. She didn't set me up for failure. The things that happened to her and the things that I witnessed as a young child set me up for failure because I never healed from those or learned anything different. 
And so I went into my first marriage basically without any boundaries or expectations whatsoever, except that I'm going to make this work because nothing had worked before. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to be different. Of course. And I don't remember ever thinking about boundaries or what I wanted out of the relationship. I mean, there were, there was the surface level stuff, but as far as the deeper things at the beginning of the relationship, I, I didn't sit down and have a conversation with myself. Well, what if this happens? Do you stay or do you go? Well, what if this happens? Did, did your mom ever talk to you about it? No, my mom didn't either. No, because you didn't talk about relationship stuff and you didn't talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, (laughs) you just didn't. But have you talked to your girls about it? Oh, oh, of course. Me too. So that, that, I think that is the, the, the difference between our two, you know, the generation gaps is that Mm. our parents, my mom never told me about the deep inner thoughts and workings of a marriage and how to make it work and how, you know, absolutely not. You don't let him do this to you or you don't do this to him. Or we never had those conversations, but by God, I'm having those with my kids. We never had those conversations either. I, I was fortunate that I learned by example. And I think in retrospect, the only thing that, that I wish my parents would have done differently is are you in front of me? So, so that I knew that was normal and okay for a relationship but I respect the fact that they took it behind closed doors because they were trying to protect us. Mm-hmm. But I did start my marriage off then thinking, well, well, couples don't really fight that much. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then when the, the fights did start, I, I mm-hmm. was completely unprepared to handle them. I didn't know it, you know, is this a normal fight? Is this what happens with couples? Is this, too much? Should I have a boundary here? I had no idea what I was walking into. So you didn't know when to say enough is enough. I didn't know when to say enough is enough. And I think that's important now to understand. I won't say where we went wrong, but I think it's important to talk about that because I think other people out there will share in our experiences on where it went wrong. Definitely. The situation went wrong. We, We didn't, we did the best we could with what we had at the time. Right. But in retrospect, are there things we would have done differently? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like you said, when we first went in, not really knowing and understanding true boundaries no. and, and true expectations. But we also have to talk about the fact that, I mean, we know what society, society had taught us, basically. Well, right. There, there's the definite black and white boundaries of any relationship. If someone hits you across the face, you leave. If someone cheats on you you leave. If someone calls you names, you leave. I I think those are things that whether we come from parents with beautiful love stories or awful love stories, we, we all learn at some point, right? Those those are the definite deal breakers, right? Those are, those are your breaking points or are they, (laughs) (laughs) or or are they, those should be your deal breakers. Right. But then you end up in relationships like I haven't ever talked about this on the podcast, but in my very first marriage, so I've actually been married twice. My long marriage was with the father of my children, but my first marriage, which happened for a very short amount of time, was, it was basically me escaping to get out of my home. You know, I, like I said before, I was raised in a very religious home and I was just ready to be free. And there was a lot of fighting going on between me and my mom. And it was a lot of damage and a lot of baggage that, I did not know how to process as a young girl. And so I ended up with um, getting into a relationship 
basically allowing myself to say, oh, he chose me, you know, that whole toxic thing, which is, I think, for a whole nother podcast about, you know, toxic views of yourself or toxic thinking. But yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, we could go on forever about that. But looking back, all the toxic shit that I had in my head. But when I went into that marriage, I knew don't let him hit you, you know, if he cheats on you once, but especially multiple times, like there are all these deal breakers, but you and I were talking earlier about the fact that you and I have those hearts that we cling to love and we cling to fixing things and we cling to, you know, I I can make it better. I can make it better, but it takes two to do that. Right. And I came from parents who had been married for decades and loved each other and you wanted so desperately this relationship with this stable person in your life that in combination with having these big hearts and having all this love to give it can be the perfect storm if you don't have boundaries and expectations for yourself and and now to hear us talk about that it it's sad that those were our expectations. Don't let him hit you. Yeah. Don't let him cheat on you. Right. Because Not, there's so much more. Right. You know, there's 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 so much more. And I am thankful that I know now or I'm learning a little bit more now and understanding more now. But I look back at myself in my first marriage and, well, I'm going to say it, I was so desperate to break cycles that I had seen my whole life growing up mm-hmm. that I didn't even realize. And this is true of my first marriage and my second marriage. I was so desperate to break those cycles in both of those marriages that I didn't even realize I was creating toxic ones. I don't think we would create them if we knew we were doing it, but it happened so slowly over time that all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. Right. In your case, I know you've, you've spoken of your verbally abusive relationship and my first marriage was, it, it was emotionally just devastating all over the place. And I definitely at 19 years old, when I got married, was not prepared for that kind of of understanding in any way. I mean, I was so emotionally just rock bottom damaged that I should have never been in a married relationship making those things, you know, those decisions. Young young and coming from the background that I came from, holy hell, no, well, no wonder it didn't fucking work. You know, I, I was, I was so messed up in the head and had no understanding. I had no foundation, no foundation whatsoever. I didn't even know where to begin to set boundaries for myself. And so when the cheating started and the screaming and yelling started and the leaving me at home while, you know, he went to parties started and all of that, I just focused in on, I want to fix it. I got to fix it. I got to make it better. I got to protect what I have because I don't want to be abandoned. I have abandonment issues, but then I also have commitment issues. Mm-hmm. And so I I didn't see red flags at all. I was just like, you can throw up as many red flags as you fucking want to, and I am just still going to protect that and keep it as best I can. Because that is our job. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm not knocking any baby boomers at all, but I think we we watched them stay married and we watched them fight for what they, and I don't mean, you know, like, are you fight, but just push forward to, yeah. to have the life that they wanted. But with each generation comes different stressors. And, and so our generation, you know, there were different stressors. And so there were red flags that we didn't even think about looking for. Right. Because we didn't experience them necessarily. Your parents had two people fighting for the same thing. Right. And that doesn't mean that they didn't have really hard rock bottom times. 
but they were at least both committed to fighting for something. They were both committed to fixing it. Which is, yeah, which is ended up being detrimental to me, not by their fault, but just to me, because then I went forward in my adult life thinking everyone had that heart. Yeah. If you love someone, you fight for it. Yeah. If I'm in a marriage, he's going to fight just as hard as I am. And what I found out in my very brief first marriage and my very long second marriage is that's not true. There was a time in my second marriage where, yeah, we were both, I want to say we were both fighting for the same things, but he was also very, he was also very preoccupied. So we were kind of living separate but parallel lives. And then when he was done and we were in our raw relationship after being married 13 years, I realized real quick that he wasn't willing to fight for it as hard as I was. And so when I dug in deep, I was like, look, I'm already committed. We've already, you know, got a decade and a half in this. I I saw a different side of him. I saw the side that isn't willing to dig in as deep and fight for it as much. And that hurt me. I was like, because we have kids now and now I'm fighting for my kids and I'm fighting for my family and I'm, you know, everything all in one. So again, any red flags that were coming out, like him not being willing to put up the same effort, not being willing to work on the same things, not being willing to give a shit about what my needs were and what my, when you have an argument, he needs these things, you need these things, and y'all try to find compromises and, you know, fix it. His needs, he was very good about vocalizing what his needs were. And my needs, I would put them aside because the kids and him were more important. Well, that's a huge red flag in and of itself. What about me? Because if I can't be whole in a relationship, how can I give holy? Absolutely true. And I don't remember ever considering my needs. Mm-mm. Ever. I'm reflecting back on, on, on those years. And I remember trying to make him happy so mm-hmm. there wouldn't be the next fight. And what I could do or provide to him to keep him happy. But I don't remember ever, ever saying to him, well, look, this is what I need. Well, I did actually for 22 years. My one thing was, would you quit calling me a fucking bitch? And he never did. That was my need. How sad is that? (laughs) But but looking back, would you ever have thought, don't call me a fucking bitch again, would have been one of the things that you had to say to. Oh my gosh. No, because I, I, someone in a relationship. No, I didn't know there were toxic people like that out there. So I didn't. I couldn't set boundaries or decide when it would be enough when I didn't even realize what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. I I think if I were with someone who were more mentally healthy, then I don't want to say normal boundaries, but then the more standard boundaries would have made sense to me. Mm -hmm. But as I spun out of control, getting kind of taken under, if you will, by the abuse, I, I totally lost sight of what was normal and, and what was acceptable and just ended up in this awful place where my boundary was, please quit calling me names and him saying, no, you don't like it. You know where the door is. Yeah. And so in my case, I went two decades of eventually getting to the point where I had to realize that my needs and my everything that I needed for a healthy life were put aside for so long and put on the back burner for so long for my kids and for my husband and making sure that they were happy and they were healthy and mentally, physically, whatever, that I just eventually didn't even, like you said, I didn't even think about myself in the, especially towards the end of that. If you had asked me, Bonnie, what do you need to be happy? I would have been like, I'm happy. I'm happy because they're happy. Look, he's happy and healthy and they're happy and healthy. I'm happy. And that means happiness. Right. right. And that means happiness. 
But inside, I was dying. Inside, I was literally withering away and dying because no one ever asked me if I was okay, if I was happy, if I was being fulfilled, and if all of my gas tanks were full. And they weren't, they were so empty. And for so long, I ran on fumes. And that still wasn't even, didn't even dawn on me that enough is enough. And so it, it actually became to a, a head to a point where I started, you know, realizing that I can't, I don't even know what sparked it, Cheryl, to be honest. I don't know what sparked it, but I started to realize, oh my God, like I'm going into my forties and I am so unhappy in my marriage and my kids are getting older. I think this sparked it actually when they moved out or when they do move out, it's just him and I, and like, what then, you know, cause now I'm at least can focus on them and not have to focus on myself, right. but what then? And I think that scared the shit out of me. So I started being more assertive and Hey, listen, I need this. I was still getting ignored. I was still, cause I was with the narcissist as well. You know, not, not a verbally abusive one, but one that just ignored mm-hmm. it, it was all about him. But whenever I started asking for things that I needed and continued to get ignored, I started realizing I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And that's when I started actually for the first time thinking, okay, Vina, when is enough enough? What is your breaking point? Mm-hmm. And those last three years of my marriage, I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and I knew I could feel it. I could feel it coming on and I could feel the desire to push dwindling. Ooh. And I, I felt it. And so it finally, when it got to that point and I said, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Instantly. I'm not even kidding. Instantly. It was, what do you mean? You're giving up. You're just giving up <laughs> on us. That sounds familiar. I have fought number one, our whole marriage, but especially the last three years, I focused on getting us back to a healthy place or to a healthy place. I don't even say back, but to a healthy place where I could be healthy too. Not just you, right? Son of a bitch, but me too. (laughs) And now you're going to say I'm giving up like, okay, so let me ask you when isn't, when is enough enough for you? Like when am I supposed to say enough is enough? I've given you three extra years of my life of me on my knees, begging, crying, snot, like, even my kids today will say, I, I just remember the crying in the last few years because I cried constantly because I was alone. I was alone in my own goddamn marriage. And I'm sorry, but now that's a thing for me. Like no one should be alone in a marriage. And I, I think that so much of what we learned in bad marriages will carry on into our futures and what we accept or don't accept and the boundaries that we create now since we really lacked them at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I had boundaries. Like I can vaguely remember being semi-strong when I was in my early twenties. And, uh, and, and I felt like I had my head on straight and I knew what was normal in a relationship. And I remember the first time we got into our first argument, we were at a bar and I smoked at the time. And I pulled out a cigarette. You rebel. I know. <laughs> a smoker in the early 90s? What? And, <laughs> and I pulled out a cigarette, and we're at a bar. So it, it was in Mexico, and it's very customary for someone to light your cigarette for you. So a guy came over to light my cigarette. 
Well, then he told me that he was studying English in college. And so I started talking to him. Oh, he struck up a conversation. He struck up a conversation. Yeah, that didn't go over so well. So I'm 23 years or 22, whatever I was at the time. And just having this normal conversation, I mean, my my husband's right down the bar dancing. Like yeah. he sees it happening. I don't think anything of it. I kid you not. He looked and I just saw like fury come over his face and I knew he was mad at that instant, but I was 23 and I was strong and I was a feminist and damn it, I'll talk to whoever I want to talk to. And so he came over and said, what was that? And I said, nothing. He lit my cigarette. Why was he talking to you? Um, Cause he's studying English at school. We can't talk to you. And I was like, why not? <laughs> and so I so bit you're back. still bold at that time. I bit back because that was our first fight mm-hmm. and I was still strong. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember having strength back in those days. And because I bit back, he grabbed his friend and left the bar and left me there. It was pouring rain. And this was way before Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. Pouring rain. So him and his friend took off. Well, I'm now at the bar by myself and I have to go out and look for a taxi. So I go out to look for a taxi and I'm getting drenched. And he drives by, doesn't pick me up that time. And so I have to walk around the corner a little bit to get the taxi. And so I do. And right before I got in the taxi, he drove by again. He said, get in. So of course I got in and I got reamed, verbally reamed for, I don't even know, an hour. And then after that, he didn't speak to me for three or four days. He was so furious that I let this guy. Well, instead of just coming over and having a like a normal conversation, what was that about? Oh, he lit my cigarette, and he just told me he was studying English too. Oh, okay. Well, come on. Do you want to go dance? Right. Like you didn't see any flirting coming out of me. It wasn't like he pulled out a piece of paper because this was pre cell phone days. He didn't pull out a piece of paper and give me his number. Nothing like that. Or make a joke about it. Like, well, here I'm going to keep you on my hip, girl, because I can tell someone's. You know, people are going to hit on you, and I'm going to let this place right. my, like make a joke out of something it. but just leave me in the pouring rain and that was our first fight and I think I just was so desperate to to make this work and so I remember thinking okay this is different than I've seen anyone get mad before in my life but I just figured it was because I had just never met someone who gets mad like that I didn't realize it was a something I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was a thing And so I kind of wrote it off and instead of confronting it, when he finally did find me worthy enough to talk to me again after three days, instead of having a conversation about it, it was just, it was done. He got mad. He had his three days to settle it. And I found myself happy that he was done ignoring me. But you never got closure in it. No. You never even got to express or talk about it or say Hey, in the future, when this happens, because it very well could, because we do go to bars together, let's address it in this way. You didn't even get to have that. No, I never got to have that. Never. There was no conversation. It was uh, basically, you know, I learned my lesson by him ignoring me for Mm -hmm. three days. And And you won't let that happen again. Yeah. And I better not let that happen again, or it might be five days next time. I guess I just probably let that go a little bit thinking, okay, I just have to learn how to love him for who he is. I need to figure out, you know, how to handle that differently. If I do something different, then he won't react like that. He won't leave me at the bar again. 
And no, and look at you justifying it. I I did. Yeah, I totally did. I justified behavior after behavior uh, yeah. after behavior. I know that feeling. Yeah, and, and every time it ate away at me a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more to the point that I was just empty. Like you said, you know, the tanks were empty. Yeah. I had nothing left in me, and I knew not to fight back because the only result in having a voice of my own was to be called names and then ignored. And then, you know, the first fight, he ignored me for three days and it just grew over the years. Our, our last fights, the last few years of marriage, he ignored me one time for two months, didn't talk to me for eight weeks in the same house as me, walked right by me for two months and didn't say a word to me, slept in the same bed as me. That didn't say a word to me. That is actually something that you and I do have in common with our marriages. My ex is very much like that, where after a fight, after a big, huge fight, we never talked about it. He wouldn't ignore me for, you know, weeks on end, but to him, you just get up. Okay. It's done. Okay. No time out. Cause I'm the type of person that needs closure. I need to talk about it. I need to work through it so that I know number one, it won't happen again. But number two, if it does happen again, like we can handle it differently and it doesn't just build up. Cause I know me. And it's, it's not dissipating. It's building up layer upon layer upon layer until it explodes. And then I start all over again, but I have to resolve it. I have to have closure within it. And because he he is a narcissist, he will not offer me that closure ever in our marriage. I never got closure on any kind of argument. One of our first big fights was because they're from Canada and they have a very different culture. You know, I know people are like, oh, it's Canada. It's not that different. It, it is very different because he is also a very, I mean, very pioneer Mormon. Okay. You know, and then my family was Southern, Southern Baptist turned Mormon, you know. So it's kind of like a whole different dynamic. In my family, you have nicknames and you say things like Mama and Aunt Doodle. And, you yeah. know, we have cute little nicknames, Uncle Hoot. Whenever we got pregnant with our first child, it was, and this seems so small, but it was a big deal for me because nicknames were passed on from generations. We're talking generational oh. nicknames. And he said, uh, oh, our kids won't call, you know, my mom was named Mama D and that was her grandmother name. Oh, well, in our family, we don't have nicknames. Okay, well, that's good. And I was fine with that, with his family not having nicknames. Fine. Okay. Right. But he went on to then say, well, my kids won't call your family. He's like, your mom will be called grandma and your dad will be called grandpa. Uh, no, that's not how it is. And we got in a huge fight because he was adamant about it. And I was like, okay, you can't bring your culture and your traditions in and just take over mine. No, I didn't marry into your family. We married into each other's families, and my family has things that they're bringing to the table as well. He did not respect that at all. Huge fight. And the resolution was just, we literally never talked about it again until she was born. And then, you know, my mom just kept saying, you know, Mama D, oh, Mama D's here or whatever. And eventually he became okay with it, but we weren't allowed to talk about it. So I was on edge wondering, oh, wow. Now, is he going to say that in front of my mom? Because right. that is a bomb that is just waiting to happen. I dare you to tell a Southern grandma. Oh, that especially her, Mama D. <laughs> yeah, that her nickname won't be used. I mean, my friends called her Mama D. I call her Mama D. Yeah. And so now I was just waiting like, oh, just please don't say that to my mother. And luckily he never did. But I never even got to have the conversation to prepare. So I was on edge. Always. Always. 
every argument we had, there was never a resolution. When he was done with it, he was done with it. I never got to have any kind of closure. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I won, and the only way I'd know I won was because he would allow it to happen as opposed to talking it through and, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to compromise. I <laughs> compromise never, is yeah. not a narcissist vocabulary. I, I never knew what the outcome was going to be because there was no resolution until it just happened. And that was, like I said, it, it was so lonely. It was so one-sided and so lonely. And I excused that and forever for two, almost two decades. I, I did the exact same thing and it, it just, it happens when you're not expecting it. And so then you're not prepared with a battle plan. And I hate to no. use that term, but if you're expecting something like that, at least you know how to handle it. But when, when you end up married to a narcissist, you're not expecting that awfulness. Like, okay, here's a problem. You meet me in the middle and we figure out how to compromise and then we move forward. That's how a problem is solved. Right. Unless you're married to a narcissist. Then you learn very quickly that the problem is what it is and he's not bending. And so we either make a stink and cause ourselves hell for however long that lasts or we give into it. And I remember a few times trying to have a voice, but my way or the highway was my ex's favorite expression. And it wasn't said in a fun way. It was said in a very serious way. Well, (laughs) What are you going to do? Walk out the door? He knew I was weak. He knew I was never going to leave. So why why compromise? Why yeah. compromise when he can have his cake and eat it too? It's funny because even though they're they're different, like they're different pathways, I guess mm-hmm. to to the same problem. It in the end is the same problem where the resolution was never in our hands. Never the ball was never in our court. I guess you should say no. There were. A handful of times over 22 years that I put up a stink and it was always revolving around the girls, always. But I I remember that being the only time I would stand up to him as if if it involved hurting the girls. Yeah. With the soccer thing, he took a few jabs at their intelligence level a few times that I, and I stood up for them. But as far as myself... Never. Yeah. So knowing what we know, you know, looking back and do you have a specific point where you knew in your marriage enough was enough? You know, I, I scare myself sometimes when I think about this because it took hell for me to get to my breaking point. Mm -hmm. It took both of my parents dying. And then I gained this strength where I just felt like, okay, they're not here for me. I'm here for myself. Of course, I meant girls. But as far as, you know, someone else to be emotionally supportive in my family. Right. Okay, well, it's just me and him now. I have a really small family. So me, him, and the girls, what do I do? And I had started thinking, I I mean, I knew I was miserable. I had been miserable for years. So it's not like I was living this happy life and all of a sudden I just woke up one morning and realized it was shitty. I just never thought I'd actually have the strength to leave. So depending on your spiritual views, you might not agree with this. I happen to believe that my dad passing over and and being able to see what I was going through. I'll never be able to talk about my dad without crying. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. Thank you. I really, I truly believe that he saw what I was putting up with and he gave me the strength to do it because I don't know if I ever would have had the strength, but I had lost both of them and 
And I just decided, like, life's too short to be unhappy. So it was the smallest thing ever. Two months after after my dad passed, we were getting our house ready to sell because we were going to move to Florida. And he snapped at me about something little. We were making a repair on the house to get it ready to sell. And, uh, and he snapped at me, and I lost my shit. But not in the way he lost his shit over the years. I just said... I'm done. I want a divorce. And I turned around and left. And I went for a drive. And, you know, he didn't even call. He didn't text. He thought I was full of shit. Because for 22 years, I put up with his bullshit. So why would I now want to leave? We're getting ready to sell the house. We're going to move to Florida. We got this great plan. And so he, he just ignored it. And then for the next several days... We didn't talk. And then I went to fill out the paperwork and he still thought I wasn't going to leave him. And I, I just finally, that, that was my breaking point. Just got the strength to, to walk out. And I don't know, had my parents not passed, I don't know if I ever would have gotten the strength to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at least there's that good. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I know that you hesitate to say that's a good thing. And I, I get that, but Having knowing that your dad was looking over you and seeing from a bird's eye view, so to speak, what you were going through, I think maybe that did give you the strength to finally say enough. Absolutely. <laughs> I could have been there through tears. So now that you've expressed your breaking point, basically, and I've mm-hmm. expressed my breaking point. And everyone's breaking point is different, as as we've talked about. It's different for everyone. Everyone's going to have a different set of boundaries, a different enough is enough. But moving forward in relationships now, we have to ask ourselves, okay, how do we know? We have to learn to recognize that. We've even talked about dating what are red flags to look for this time, because this time I'm going to make sure that I look for those red flags. I didn't even think of looking for red flags. Even after my divorce, the first few guys that I, I went on dates with, I I didn't think of looking at red flags. I still hadn't even gotten to that mindset of, is this person good for me? Mm-hmm. I was still stuck in that, oh, he chose to go out with me. Yeah, see, uh, just like I said earlier, yeah. exactly, which is a whole other podcast. It will be, yes. Yeah, but I definitely think that moving forward, and I'm still learning, it's, it's kind of like we talked about you know, with my youngest daughter, I'm 46 and I'm still learning what determines enough is enough. And what will I allow? Because I do have to start thinking of myself. My kids are grown. Your kids are grown. Mm -hmm. It will always, and you and I are the same type of mother where we will always be protective of those children, of those. I will be a mother first for the rest of my life. Exactly. But now we're women and we're in relationships now or in the future or whatever. Now we have to determine what our needs are and what our breaking points are and what our deal breakers are, because that's, that's so important. We can always look back and say, I wish I had that, but that's okay. Cause what we're learning through all of those experiences and the ability that we have to see hindsight, and we're now teaching our children to look for those red flags as we're learning ourselves, right? We're not just learning them and keeping them inside. We're also instructing our kids, Hey, this is what I've learned. Yeah. You've seen mom get hurt now. 
you've seen mom struggle. In my case, you've seen her struggle a lot and cry a lot and work through issues a lot in a very short amount of time. And that's been hard to watch for you. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that you got to see it because now I'm hoping that you learned something from it as well. Right. So yeah, my struggles are right in front of you and I apologize for that. But by God, don't do like I did where my mom's struggles were right in front of me and I didn't learn from them. Right. I ran from them and thought, oh, that won't happen to me. Now I'm making sure I have those very real conversations with my kids and they're hard, hard conversations with my kids that says, number one, the very first thing you need to think about is what makes you happy because you matter in that relationship as well. You need to determine what your boundaries are and when is enough enough for you, hun. And I think that is such a healthy way to start a relationship, especially at a, a, a younger age, for them to go into relationships in general, whether it be with their bosses or, or their significant others or their friends, to realize that boundaries are our choices. Right. I don't think either of us realized that no, you back actually, in the day. That's actually a really good point because long, long gone are the days where you stick with a job forever and ever and ever until you get the gold watch or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and deal with toxic bastard management. You don't get to talk to me like that just because you're my manager. Who the hell are you? Right. There's I don't know. There's other jobs on yeah, that exactly. I can go grab right now. And, you know, that's the whole career mobility and all of that. But I, that's a great point. Like whether it's in your job or relationship or, you know, boundaries doesn't just, I guess, apply to relationships. And, and I never even thought of the fact that I had control over that, mm-hmm. that I had a say in that. It didn't occur to me. And, and now that I'm learning that, now I'm figuring out what my boundaries are at 48 years old. But I'm intentionally doing that. And even if you would have asked me two, two and a half years ago, fresh off of my divorce, what my boundaries were, I don't think I could have expressed them adequately at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've done some intentional healing, as you have too. I, and, oh, yeah. And because of that, we can reflect on where things went wrong and what our boundaries will be for the future. And, and when we say enough is enough, because nobody wants to keep repeating the same cycle over and over. No. And over. No, and, and I did for a long time. I did without even meaning to. And I created other, like I said, other toxic cycles. And so I hate that my kids have seen so much in such a little amount of time. But I also hope, it is my prayer, that they have learned something from it, you know, from my my struggles and my hitting rock bottom and clawing my way back up. Because by God, I'm not one to stay down. And I am going to get a relationship right in the future. If it kills me first, I will get a relationship (laughs) right in the future because I do have that heart that I truly am dedicated to that love and fixing it. And as long as that other person is willing to take that extra step as well, and we both come together, like your parents work through it and talk through it. But I do think it is something that I have to work on where I have to learn to express my needs and be okay with the fact that sitting down with that other, that significant other and saying, this is what I need. This is what I need. And if you can't respect that and you can't give it back, then that is a deal breaker for me. 
And I haven't always been brave enough to say that to someone because my greatest fear is if I say that, they're going to say, okay, I'm done. Right. And then I'm like, oh my God. You Wait, know? I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah. But, but you do. You have to mean it because otherwise you get yourself into a situation where it's all rainbows and unicorns at the beginning. But then when things get ugly, they get really ugly. Right. And I think that's a perception that I've falsely put out there where everyone's like, oh, Vani, you're so strong. You're the most badass woman. I know you're so strong. And that's not me patting myself on the back. That's the image that I put out there because I protect the fact that I'm really, I'm really still learning this and I make a lot of stupid ass mistakes. So and I'm vulnerable for you to say. Don't always put myself first. And it's not that I've it's not that I've feed false information, but I keep those I keep those flaws and those insecurities very close to me so I don't let the world see them. But the problem with that also is is that I also fall apart alone. And and not openly. And you know, I don't I don't let even my closest inner circle know that I'm I'm falling apart. I don't even let my significant other, well, I did let him know, but I, I didn't demand that he pay attention to that. Like I'm falling apart. I'm drowning over here. Yeah. And if you're married to me and I'm the mother of your children, you better reach a goddamn hand in and pull me up. And I didn't, I didn't force that expectation. Well, that's because also you have to cut yourself a break there. I think because I, that's a product of being married to a narcissist. I think you learn very quickly that what you need and what your desires wants or necessities even are, don't matter. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter if you're happy. So why voice them? I know for me, I would get made fun of or mocked because I would get emotional. (laughs) Me? Emotional? (laughs) I would get emotional saying what I, or trying to voice what I wanted. And then I would just get mocked for crying and. Sorry. No, you just said something that. I'm sorry. No, no, don't apologize. (laughs) That was the one thing that hmm, I hate crying. I hate being vulnerable and crying. I've cried on every episode. You made it to episode six. Good job. That's the one thing in my relationship that, um, in my marriage, that I always, 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 apart from always feeling alone, the other thing was I felt stupid because whenever I would express my needs or how I truly felt or what I, what I needed to be happy, it was played off as so insignificant that it would wound me a little bit more each and every time. To the point where you have nothing left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing emotionally, nothing physically, nothing. I've been there where you just feel like you can't do anything right. And why, why is everyone else smarter than you? Why is everyone else doing it the right way? And, and, and I have this whole group of friends and circle out there that are like, you're so smart. You're so this, you're so that. And I can't even get the man I love to think that like how fucking sucky is that? Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. It's no wonder we left marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is, I, I still catch myself not trusting myself because I don't think I'm smart enough. Same. And, or with, with the, the man that I'm with right now, just thinking, wow, he, he, chose me I'm so lucky why can't I understand that I also give something to that relationship and you also chose him he's lucky too right and he knows that yeah 
Yeah, you got a good one. <laughs> you, so <laughs> far, so far, so far, so good. Not gonna win, yeah. but yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, and, and he and he does know that, and he does nothing to make me feel like I'm not good enough. But it's just that creeps back in, you know yeah. that that self doubt that that choosing uh-huh. thing because we wanted to be chosen for so long, yeah, and weren't. No, I, I fully agree, and. Ooh, I promise in every podcast we won't be these blubbering. I'm not promising because <laughs> <laughs> listen, I cry <laughs> easily as it is, and then I'm entering this, you know, stage of my life here where my hormones are all whacked out. Is that a term whacked out? <laughs> oh, yeah. it is now. <laughs> and yeah, so Vina might not cry every episode. I, on the other hand, can make no promises. <laughs> I cry if the sun's pretty. <laughs> I'm a lost cause. Yeah. And no, it's not extreme <laughs> depression. Don't worry about me. I, I just am an emotional person. And you know what? It's funny that that came up because that took me so long to own. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed of how emotional I was. And part of it was because I got mocked for crying for 22 years. But part of it was also just that that feeling of self-doubt and stupidity. And if I were smarter, better, more emotionally mature, I wouldn't break down like mm-hmm. this. But, but as I went about healing, and I'm not saying I'm healed because I'm still working on so much shit. Same. <laughs> but as I go about that and work on it, I realize that I, that's just who I am. I'm an emotional person and hopefully some hormone balance will make it so I, I don't cry every time I talk. But, but now when I do cry, I'm okay with that. I don't apologize for it. And I apologized for crying for years, yeah. years. And, uh, and now I just accept that that's who I am. And, and it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're weak. I was saying this to someone on Facebook the other day, especially us women. We're we're kind of, well, I know men have this, but in a different way. We're taught that if we show vulnerability emotionally or, you know, if we cry a lot or if we, you know, ask for help or if we, then that's a sign of weakness. And it's not, it's, it's not a sign of weakness if we show that we're struggling I was taught that you have to be strong, keep your, hide your crazy, you know, just like the country song say, yeah. I grew up country, <laughs> hide your crazy, slap your makeup on, girl, you know, act pull your, like, pull your britches up yeah. and go out there and pull, take over the world. Pull up, pull your big, put your big girl panties on yep. and go out there and, and do what needs to be done. And I've done that. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I've done that, but it's okay to sometimes hit rock bottom and say, fuck, I'm, I've hit rock bottom and I'm not okay right now and I'm, I'm a mess and that's okay. So I think we need to stop beating ourselves up over things like that. And I hope that people out there stop beating themselves up about vulnerability and, you know, sadness and emotions. Being and, true to your emotions, being yeah. able to be your authentic self. Yeah. Speak not, your truth. Yes. It's not a bad thing. It's no. not a bad thing to... To be able to voice what's inside of you, even if it's painful, even if it causes uncomfortable feelings amongst other people in the room. Even if it says, even if you says to the person sitting across from you that you want with all your heart to say all the right things, even if it causes them not to say the things that you want to hear, you still have to say, these are my expectations this is what is going to make me happy in this relationship. This is 
what I'm going to need from you. And we can together work through that. And if that person says, "Mm, I can't do that, then at least you've expressed that. And it may hurt like hell because heartbreak does. Mm -hmm. It may hurt like hell, but at least you have gotten that out there. At least you put it out there. Because just keeping it inside and hiding it is not going to fix anything either. You're actually doing more damage to yourself than had you expressed it and they said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Right. I'd rather, it's easy to say, I'd rather know, but I would. I'd rather know. Let me go ahead and hit rock bottom and cry and, you know, have the heartbreak because by God, then I'm going to pick myself back up and now I can find that person that is going to give me those things. But I had to learn how to express that. And I'm still learning in the relationship I'm in now. Sometimes I'm terrified to say, this is, you know, what I need. He'll ask me if I'm okay. Or like, do you, do you want to talk about it? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Knowing I'm not fine. Right. You know, so I still fall back on that old, you know, habit of saying, no, I'm fine. No, Vanna, tell him exactly what you need. And if he fucks it up, then that's on him. Right. At least you've stayed true to yourself yeah. and, and know that you put that out there. Right. And same for him. He should be able to tell me what his needs are. And if I fuck it up, then it's on me. Right. But that's a healthy relationship. And that's what we're just learning about yeah. at our 40 yeah. something years old. Yeah. How, so how to have healthy communication. Yeah. And I, I imagine you've experienced this too, but it's so refreshing but I, I've had a couple conversations, and they weren't heavy conversations. We we really aren't at that point in our relationship yet, but some pretty significant conversations. And I was petrified because I overthink everything, mm-hmm. and I'm trying really hard to, to get past that, but I still do it not as badly as I used to. But I still overthink, overthink things, and then I just got brave and put it out there. Like, I'm going to say this and petrified for the answer, but then the answer comes back and it's not horrible and awful and the communication happens and we move on. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, is that how that works? Is that how the <laughs> conversations work? Did we really just do that in two minutes? Cause in my uh, previous marriage, that would have taken four weeks yeah. and there still would have been no resolving. Yeah. I'm at the point in my life where I'm, I, I can't focus on someone else's growth. You know, I, I will contribute to it and I will, support it and aid in it, but I'm going to focus on my own growth. So I'm looking forward to the point where I can say to whoever, you know, whether it's my relationship now, beautiful relationship, but heaven forbid it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. Then no matter what, I'm looking forward to the time where I can say, these are, these are my things. This is what I need and not have that hesitation. Like you just said, because that must be a wonderful feeling. And I want to lose that. I want to lose the hesitation to put myself first. It's not easy. It's it's a difficult thing to do. And I think that's a whole other podcast, how to put yourself first. Yeah. Or, or even ideas, because I don't know that I completely know how to do it. Oh, no, no. I did not mean that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Cheryl, you do not have this shit figured no, out. No, I meant me. <laughs> so mine is very truthful, as we see. <laughs> I do not have shit figured out. I'm I'm learning. We've come a long way. We have. We have. And we have to give ourselves credit. Yeah, because we wouldn't put up with a 16th of what we put up with before. No. Mm -mm. I I feel like we've gone from no expectations to having extreme expectations. 
I don't feel like my expectations are unattainable, but I feel like they're set. I, I've set the bar very high. Yeah. And as you should. Right. But and as our done. kid should. Yes. As we all should. Yeah. And as our partner should, that's fair. And we, we're not here to bash the other side. We want the other side to learn from this as well and to make sure that their expectations are met as well, but in a healthy way along with ours. Like, right. If, if you're growing together, it's mm-hmm. so much more beautiful than not having any idea what's going on communication-wise. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the takeaways on this are definitely... To know what your expectations are. I don't care if you're 16 or 65 or what, anywhere in between. Yeah. You have to know who you are as a person and what you want from yourself so that you can find someone who will give to that. And support that, not take away from it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. No matter which side of the relationship you're on. Right. And then ideally you find two people who both want to to push each other forward like that. And it's beautiful. It's the synchronicity of of trying to build each other up. And and that is healthy. That's how it should be. I fully agree. I think. (laughs) Stay tuned if I know what I'm I'm talking about. You know, we're still growing our community and we know the conversations are oftentimes touchy and still people are reluctant to speak openly about it. But if you are open and you are, you do want to get that conversation out there and get feedback from people, don't be afraid to follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook. If you don't want to post, as I said before, if you don't want to post with your name attached, send it to us in a message. We'll post anonymously for you. We'll hopefully get that conversation going you know, Cheryl and I can definitely offer different perspectives, I guess. And then some of our other followers have offered some perspectives as well. And right now there's a lot of private messaging going on, but we definitely want those conversations to be out in the open because that's what we've done all this time. I think that's a huge thing is that we've talked privately about things. We need to talk openly about things and learn from one another and get all kinds of feedback from stories out there. So yeah, if we can all have those me too moments to realize that we're not in this alone, because you're you're right. We have gotten private messages, tons, but not as much on the public side of it. Right. Which I get because it's scary to put yourself out there like this and it's scary to, to talk about your vulnerability, but it's also empowering to know that so many of us went through this and are making it out on the other side. Still scratched and tattered, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. And Cheryl and I aren't the only ones. Yes, we are, you know, have gotten to a point where we've decided that we will talk about this aided with alcohol, (laughs) but we are talking openly about this and we want to get more people in a position where they can talk openly about all of these things as well, because that's, that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you feel. Like you said, feel empowered. That's how you heal. Yeah. I I feel like I've healed so much more by being vocal than than I ever did. I fully agree. Yeah. Trying to heal on my own. So we need to talk. Yes, we do. Okay. Well, that wraps up episode six. And we hope that you all have a wonderful new year. And hopefully 2021 is a hell of a lot better than 2020. I don't even want to hypothesize what can happen if it gets worse. So we're just going to go with it getting better. Yes. So happy new year and may the force be with you. (laughs) (laughs) Have a 
have a great start to your day.